Good morning. We are gathered together this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For the resurrection of Christ is good news for mankind. But lots of times what we see in front of us is a misunderstanding of what the resurrection represents. In popular culture, men like to keep Jesus in the grave. Right now, there is a resurgence in our culture to redo, once again, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber's production, Jesus Christ Superstar. But Jesus is left in the grave in Jesus Christ Superstar. People are comfortable with Jesus being in the grave. But in the scripture we find that God didn't leave Jesus in the grave, but he brought him out of the grave, resurrected into a new life. A new life that can be yours and mine because God sealed the deal. Let me, let me read for you what the Apostle Paul had to say in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 15, verses 45 through 56. Now the scripture tells us this. The first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is the life-giving spirit which came first in a natural body, and then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Every human being is an earthly being just like Adam's, but our heavenly bodies will be just like Christ's. Just as we are like Adam now, a man of the earth, so someday we will be like Christ, men of heaven. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but these perishable bodies of ours will not be able to live forever. The secret of understanding the resurrection of Christ is that Christ sought to unite the world. And it was done so because he was resurrected. It was God's plan altogether that from the very beginning that we would not be separated from our Creator, but that we would, with Him, live in harmony into the ages. And so you might remember that the condition of man comes about because of what took place right after the creation in the very beginning. There was a, a, uh, a misunderstanding, as it were, a choice that had to be made. You see, in God's design... There was a choice which had to be made. And the choice really was between following after God and walking in fellowship with God or following after our own desires. And Eve was presented these choices by the cunning serpent and she chose to follow that which she saw was desirable after it was presented to her. And so the woman was convinced and the fruit looked good and fresh and delicious. 
And it would be, it would be there to make her wise, and so she ate some of the fruit, also gave some to her husband who took it, and suddenly, in a moment, their eyes were opened and they felt shame in their nakedness, and so they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. And towards the evening, they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, and so they hid themselves amongst the trees, and the Lord God called to Adam, where are you? And he said, I heard you, but I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord asked. Have you eaten the fruit I commanded you not to eat? Yes, Adam admitted, but it was the woman you gave who brought it to me. And so then we go through this process of each blaming one another, but the reality was in that moment... In that very moment, there was a disruption that took place in the relationship between the Creator and the created. And no longer could they walk in harmony in the evening together. But a choice had been made to follow after self and to follow after what had, had uh, become good. Gotcha, okay. There was a choice to be made, and the choice that was made was that they followed after self. They followed after what would be good for them rather than after the command of God. That has been the issue that we continue to face as individuals who come after Adam. And so God set out to bring about a plan, a plan in which he would bring back man to a condition where we can be in fellowship once again. And so the entirety of the Old Testament is really about God working on man's central issue, his separation from his creator. That's really what the Old Testament is about. It's about giving us an understanding of God's design of which he set out with purpose to bring back a situation where we could be in fellowship with God, reunited with Him in fellowship as He had originally designed. It was God's purpose not only to bring back and show mankind that He's lost and that there's a choice to be made, but it's God's purpose to make sure that we understand that not only are we lost from our relationship with Him, but we're lost from our relationship with one another. When this break that took place, not only was there an, a, a, a break that took place in the relationship that we had with God, but the relationship that we have with each other was broken as well. Right after the story of Adam and Eve uh, is given, God makes provision, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 3, he makes provision, and he states very clearly then that he will bring about redemption. But right after that, then we go into the story of Cain and Abel. You remember Cain and Abel? Cain, it's a, well, let's read from Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam slept with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant, and when the time came, she gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the Lord's help, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to a second son named Abel. And when they grew up, 
Abel became a shepherd while Cain was a farmer, and at harvest time, Cain brought to the Lord a gift of his farm produce, while Abel had brought choice lambs from the best of the flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his offering, but he did not accept Cain and his offering. And the Lord made and and that made Cain very angry and dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked him. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you respond in the right way, but if you refuse to respond correctly, then watch out. Sin is waiting to attack and destroy you, and you must subdue it. But Cain suggested to his brother Abel, let us go to the fields. And while they were there, Cain attacked and killed his brother. And afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain retorted. Am I supposed to keep track of him wherever he goes? In the very beginning, we see that not only is there a separation that takes place between us and our Creator, but there's a separation that takes place between man as well. And there's now this selfish desire which creeps into how it is that we function. And dysfunction becomes great amongst mankind. And we see that today exaggerated in so many different ways. But God had a plan. And he begins to show mankind his plan in the Old Testament. And he takes time to do that, but basically, don't don't be concerned. We're not going to go from Genesis to Revelation this morning. I'm going to abbreviate for you what we see happening here, though. God's plan is this, that he intends to show mankind that he's lost. And that he chooses to do this through a particular people. And so he calls out one man amongst many, Abram. He calls him out from the land of the Chaldeans. And he sets him apart and he makes a promise to him. Now, Abram was old. Very old. (laughs) 99 plus. See, they still lived old in those days. So he was 99 plus when God called him out from the land of the Ur of the Chaldeans, and he said, go, I'm going to separate you. And he takes him out and he gives him a dream. And in that dream he makes a promise that he will be, uh, that his descendants will be as many as the stars, a multitude as it were. And so he says, I'm going to set you apart and you will have many, many descendants. And in this dream, we see God beginning to paint the picture of what things will be like. For he takes animals, he takes, in the dream, he takes animals and he separates them. And then then Abram is to, to... walk between this bloody mess of these animals that have been separated and sacrificed to God. So Abraham, Abram understands that God is going to use him, but he doesn't quite understand how it is that this is going to take place. And so he seeks to intervene because his wife was old. She was beyond the years of bearing a child, and she was barren. And so... He reasons out and does things his own way and birth is given in the human capacity to their first son, Ishmael. 
But that wasn't God's plan, and God chastised Abram later, changed his name to Abraham, and said, I will bring about your descendant. And he reestablished that the descendants of Abraham now will be multi, as many as the stars and the grains of sand. And out of this progeny will come a Savior. And so it was through Isaac, the true son of promise, that we then see David and later Jesus coming. The promise of a Savior is all through the Old Testament. The history of the Jews is to bring about Jesus Christ into human history. God's provision for man's condition, separation from God. And so when you read the Old Testament, and I encourage you to do so, when you read the Old Testament, it's fascinating to look and see how God systematically brings promise that He is going to remedy the situation of man being separated from God. And so Jesus is the one who is going to do this. And we see in the Old Testament time and time again, whether it's through Moses and the law, which is a temporary fix. But what does the law do? It gives an understanding of man's condition. You see, man is oblivious to the fact now that he's separated from God. He walks around in this condition of separation only thinking about himself, and he's oblivious to the fact that he's separated from his God and the righteousness that God represents. And so God takes this people that has now been brought up out of the, out of the uh, progeny of Jacob and have been taken into slavery, into Egypt for 400 years, and he brings them out of Egypt through Moses and he presents to them the law. And what the law does is sets a standard for what God's righteousness represents. And a standard begins to be set to understand, again, that there is separation between man and separation between God. But what happens inside of the law is a temporary fix. What happens inside of the holy of holies is a temporary fix. When the, when the chief priest would go in and offer sacrifice for the sins of the people, the sins of the people were covered, but it had to take place every year so that there might be, as it were, a cleansing that took place. It wasn't sufficient. So the law did a couple of things. First of all, it provided a vehicle for people to understand that they were lost within themselves, and they, there was a, a different way of thinking between God's laws and man's laws. It also provided a vehicle whereby people would begin to understand that God's law of righteousness is what the standard is. But the temporary fix of sacrifice before God was not sufficient. 
And so because of that, God intervenes and sends his son, Jesus Christ, into human history. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Let me read for you from Romans. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 12. And when Adam sinned, sin entered into the entire human race. And Adam's sin brought death, so the death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. And though there was no law to break, since it had not been given, they died anyway. Even though they did not disobey an explicit command of God, as Adam did. What a contrast between Adam and Christ, who was to come. And what a difference between our sin and God's generous gift of forgiveness. For this one man, Adam, brought death to many through his sin, but this other man, Jesus Christ, brought forgiveness to many through God's bountiful gift. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one of man's sin. From Adam's sin led to condemnation, but we have the free gift of being accepted by God even though we are guilty of many sins. The sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, but all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation to everybody, but Christ's one act of righteousness makes all right in God's sight and gives them life. Because one person disobeyed God, many people became sinners, but because one person obeyed God, many people are made right in God's sight. For God's law was given so that all people uh, could see how sinful they were, but as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful kindness became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful kindness rules instead, giving us the right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? This is the synopsis of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it is through one man's sin that all of mankind was affected and separated from God. And it is through one man's acts of righteousness, Jesus Christ, the second Adam, that all men are now reconciled to God and are able to come to a new life in Jesus Christ. We are through baptism, when we are baptized in Jesus Christ, we are dead to sin, and we are raised to walk a new life. No longer separated from God, and no longer separated from one another. For Christ's body, as mankind is rich and diverse, Christ's body is also rich and diverse. There is no one people better than another. We live in a culture today which is so separated by various cultures and people proclaiming that they're better than others or that, they're, or that their grouping 
is the best. There's separation between black and white. There's separation between brown and yellow. There's separation between um, different people with uh, different cultural ideas. Don't get me wrong. Culture has its place. Culture's wonderful. I live and breathe culture. But today, today, we have come to the point in our society where you can be anything you want to be, all you have to do is dream it. I'm going to make a confession to you today. Most of you know that, that I love country music. Most of you think of me as growing up in the country, but I'm really a city boy. I didn't grow up in the country. I grew up in the city. But I align myself and I imagine myself as being country. I can walk and talk country. In fact, when Rose and I are kind of getting into it and I do my southern country thing, I start out every sentence with something like this. I tell you what. There are people who emphasize their blackness and get carried away in that. There are people who emphasize their need to align themselves with Filipino culture because they're Filipino. There are people who align themselves with European culture because they're European in background and nature. Mankind has this tendency to want to align itself with a various culture, and then they try to put, make that culture look better than the other culture. I'm not going to go all political on you. I'm just going to say that in Christ, when I was buried in Christ and raised to walk a new life, God takes that person in me who is a diverse individual and he gives me new direction and hope. And this is the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That we can still align ourselves with an appreciation for the cultures in which we live. Listen, some of you may know what your culture is. In fact, you know it's a popular thing nowadays to have your, uh, you know, your DNA analyzed. So you can find out you know, what, what, your, what your cultural heritage is. I've resisted doing that. I grew up understanding, Chris can... Uh, Chris can attest to this. I grew up understanding that basically I'm a mutt. Um, you know, let's see, we were, we were told that we were Irish, Dutch, Scotch, French, and American Indian. And that uh, American Indian, we weren't one of those uh, offshoot tribes, but we were the Cherokee. Now, I've come to find out in later being, first of all, that I could well be Irish uh, and Scotch. In fact, people tell me I look Irish. But, but, but the thing is, and, and when I was younger, they told me I had the Irish temper. So that kind of confirmed that I was Irish. But, but, uh, but I've also done research, and as I've gotten older, what, I, what I've come to find out 
is that I could also be black. Because research shows that the Africans migrated to the Celtic region and were influential in the bloodlines in the Celtic region. So I could be black. I don't know. Now, in regard to my Indians, well, see, I don't know. See, everybody claims to be a Cherokee Indian. I don't know if it's because if they were the smartest Indians or what. You know, the Cherokees were the first ones to actually have a written language. And they were, they're the only Indian tribe to actually argue their case before the Supreme Court against the United States justice system and to win. Now, of course, the U.S. government didn't give a rip because they still said, we don't care. And thus we have the Walk of Tears sending the Cherokee tribe to the land they now occupy in Oklahoma. Is that? I don't know. I could be all of those things, and yet in Christ, I don't have to be any of those things because first and foremost, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, sealed with his blood, and I've been raised to walk a new life. And this is the thing, regardless of where you come from, regardless of what your color is, regardless of what your ethnic background is, regardless of all those things that you may be proud of because of that ethnicity, Most importantly, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have been raised to walk a new life when you entered into the waters of baptism, and you now live for Jesus Christ. All of those things can be important, but they are not preeminent. You are not only raised to walk a new life in Christ now, where you can live as a holy individual, but... We have eternity in which we are told in 1 Corinthians that the world will be destroyed. This body with its imperfections. I know you look at me and say, you, Pastor Monty, you can't have any imperfections. But I do. We all have imperfections. And Scripture says that those imperfections are going to be done away with. And I'm going to be given a new body. And I'm going to be in a new heaven and a new earth. Anyone who puts their hope in Jesus Christ has this same promise. And the reality of it is, is that that is sealed because God raised up Jesus Christ and overcame sin and overcame death and we are living proof of that. And so our focus should no longer be on self. There are many who have difficulty with this. They still can't let go of who they are in their ethnicity or who they are in the group that they hang with or who they are as individuals. But those things don't matter. See, Scripture says those things don't matter. What matters is that I've been raised to walk a new life in Jesus Christ. And my central focus now is not self. You see, in the garden, when this choice took place, 
things were flipped end on end. And self became most important. And then emotion and then spiritual. But because of the work of Christ on Calvary, because I was covered by God's shed blood, because the resurrection occurred through the power of God, I'm put right back with God, and spiritual now becomes preeminent in my life. And physical is dead. No more to reign over me. This is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we no longer have to succumb to self, to the desires of self, to the things that would hold power over us. The reason why we have issues today in our culture, listen, our culture is going through a massive cultural change right now. Massive cultural change. There are all, thing, all kinds of things going on, and much of it has to do with the exaggeration and the exploitation of self. But as Christians, as those who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ, that should not be our emphasis. Don't get me wrong. We should be concerned about these things that are happening. We should pray for an understanding of God's design and what he's already laid out in Scripture, what's going to happen politically. And I already told you, I promised you I wouldn't go political on you, so, so I'm not going to explain the dynamics of some of that. But we have a, uh, we have a program, Cultural Insanity, it talks a little bit about that. My podcast, I've been kind of exploring what that means not to live for self. It's important to understand that our focus needs to be not on the things of man any longer, but on the things of God. And so what I would encourage you to think about, what you need to be praying about, what you need to be trying to understand, is where is your focus in life today? You see, in Jesus Christ, we have been reunited with God through the resurrection. Jesus wasn't left in the grave, but God knew that sin and death had to be overcome and put to death once and for all. And so now those that follow after God are united in Christ because of that final work of raising Christ from the dead. And today, we celebrate that, recognizing that we are the beneficiaries of all that God has for us now, that is in your current life, and in the life to come. Do you have drama in your life? Most people do. Do you have difficulty in, in various areas of your life? Most people do. In the work that I did before I retired, I was exposed dramatically to many of those issues in people's lives. Ultimately, what it came down to is most people were having difficulty because they made poor choices. And those choices were bent upon the fact that they were putting their focus on self. So here's a key for you. You want to have less drama in your life? 
You want to be able to live so that Jesus Christ will be glorified and God be glorified through how it is that you live? Learn how to make choices. But learn how to make choices that are glorifying to God because you no longer live for self. But you live to bring glory to God. And so having that correct focus helps you to make those choices. And you will find as you learn to live for God and you focus on how it is that he would have you to live that you will be saying less to yourself that you chose poorly. And you will find that you more and more are finding that your choices are producing the kind of life that you can bring glory to God through having. Are you living for eternity? Do you know that the things that you do today all accept? Here's what 1 Corinthians alludes to. We just read it in the very beginning. Here's what 1 Corinthians alludes to. Do you know that all of those things that you have, those earthly possessions that you have, those earthly accolades that you build up, nobody's immune to it. I've got antiques in my house. I'm not talking about my wife or myself. We're not, we're not quite antiques yet, although we're slowly, we're slowly getting there. I've got antiques in my house. I've got memories on the walls. I've got certificates and diplomas and all those types of things. But you know what Scripture says? Scripture says those things are going to be burned up. Gone. No more. Only those things that we do for the kingdom of God will stand through the fire and test of time. Is your focus on the things of God? Are you living with legacy in mind? How it is that you are going to be understood and remembered in your life? Or are you just going to have things that are going to have to be sold in an estate sale which will probably end up being sold at a garage sale, which will probably be, end up on being put on consignment. Nobody will remember the significance of all of those things because they will be no more. But the things that you do for God, the things that you do in living your life and affecting people in establishing a relationship that once was severed but now exists because of the work of Christ on the cross, sealed and delivered by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those things will last. And so I encourage you this morning, as you think about the resurrection, as you think about the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, as you think about your own life, ask those questions of yourself. What is my focus in life? Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how young you are, if you're young and you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior and you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, that means you have so many years, potentially, you have so many years to live for Christ and to establish a legacy. If you're old, it doesn't matter. You still have an opportunity 
even though time has been lost, you still have an opportunity to establish that relationship and that legacy with Christ. Our focus needs to be that now that we are reunited with God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we live that we might bring glory and honor and praise to his name. Amen.